I love getting some of those relational snapshots behind the scenes. Can anyone relate? <laughs> That's fun. Thanks for the, uh, seeing those. Well, we're continuing our series, Holy Matrimony, because marriage can be tough. Marriage is, uh, you know, we think it's so, so tough when, you're, you know, when, when it's going on. It can be challenging, but you know what? It can be so much more fulfilling than most people imagine. And there's a beautiful way that we can develop and grow relationships. And in this series, we're talking about how do we become whole and holy, because there's this way that God has designed our marriage and designed relationships to work and to be honoring to him and to be full of respect and love for one another. And we are after that. We are desiring that. Now, the realization is not everyone here is married. Maybe you're widowed. Maybe you're divorced. Maybe you're single. Maybe you're happy, happily single and you want to stay that way. There are things we are learning throughout this series that really do apply across the board on how we develop deeper relationships with other people, with those that are close to us. So we, we began by laying a foundation about marriage that, that what we, when we talk about marriage, we are looking at the only one who has defined marriage, and that is how does God define marriage? He created it, and he defined it through his word, and what does that mean, and how do, how do we look at that? And, and scripture talks about the two becoming one. That's the foundational principle throughout the series is how do two people with separate lives and identities and, and, and values and, and the way that they, they're raised and experiences and talents bring that together and really form a cohesive unity, a oneness. That's the, the journey, and that's the process. Last week, we, we talked about this idea, or we began the series talking about leaving, right? Leaving your family of origin, then joining together, then being united as one. That's that process, and that when we have a, a, a marriage we have that wedding ceremony, we're not, just, um, we're not just signing a contract. That's the wrong way of thinking, and so much of this world thinks about marriage as a contract, but it's really a covenant. It's a covenant that is there, that is committed to through the long term, through come what may, better or worse, richer or poorer, right? We follow that along. Last week, we addressed the number one issue in relationships that is a struggle. Remember what we talked about? We talked about communication, right? How do we have holy conversations? The power of the tongue to harm and to, to hurt, but also to bring life and to bring wholeness. And so I don't know if you've used any of those techniques this past week, or did anyone throw that in your face in a relationship? <laughs> right back, you talk about assertiveness, right? Not aggressiveness, being assertive, saying what you want and what you need, being able to express that is so important in a relationship. And we talked about how do we do that, right? Not just to be aggressive in that, but to speak with kindness and respect. Then we talked about the more important part of communication is really the listening side, right? How are we active listeners? Are we really listening to understand versus listening just to formulate a response? And then we talked about empathy, just how do we really understand our spouse or the person we're trying to connect with and really saying, how do I get into that place? When that understanding is there, it changes the dynamic of communication. Well, today we're going to address the next biggest issue in marriage, and that is conflict. We're going to talk about conflict today. Holy conflict. Holy conflict, and, and how do we turn conflict into deeper connection? That's the mystery of this. How can we turn conflict into, into deeper connection? And we're talking about holy conflict. I'm not talking about the holy wars or the crusades, okay? I, I know that's what it might feel like at times, and, and when things open up, that this is what we're talking about. But no, how do we have a holy place, this place where we can become whole and holy through conflict? Because that's the, the mystery and that's the challenge. When two become one, two separate people with their own ideas, the way they see things, trying to work things out and having a way that they want to go forward. And, and the whole idea of marriage is we want to come together, and yet conflict arises and is what threatens to bring us apart. And again, conflict, whether that's in marriage, whether that's in relationships, whether that's at work, whether it's with your team, 
whether it's in the church, whether it's with neighbors, right? Conflict drives a wedge and, and challenges us. So what are some of the most common conflicts in marriage? Well, the first one, interestingly enough, is communication. So they kind of go back and forth. That couples struggle the most with communication. We just can't talk. We can't seem to agree. We just always struggle. So conflict and communication are linked. So I refer you back to last week's message for the specifics on communication. But then the, the top issues that, that surface all the time, um, number one, number two, always in there, is finances. Anyone ever have tr trouble with finances? Why do you spend money on Unless you're, you know, unless like, you know, like in the video, you just don't spend, you just don't shop anymore, right? Then you don't have to deal with it. That's beautiful. But, you know, you deal with finances. The other one is sex and intimacy. That's one that, that couples argue about or struggle with or try to find their way forward and it can really create challenges. Habits. Why are you on the phone so much? Right? Why do you always do this when you pick your fingernails or you do this or whatever it is, right? These things that, that drive us crazy. Another issue, chores. Running the household, managing the household, right? Feeling like one is maybe doing too much or doing something that they don't want, and so we struggle with that. And when you take out, here's a key question, when you take out the trash, the person that takes out the trash, is it their responsibility to put a new trash bag in or not? Yeah. <laughs> Go home and argue about that one. I took out the trash, the least you can do is, right? Put the trash bag back in, what, but, but you have to work that stuff out. Children and parenting, right? You're way too lenient. You're way too hard on them. We should try to navigate those kinds of things. In-laws, right? Where are we spending Thanksgiving? Why does your mom always? <laughs> Different things like that, right? <laughs> Time together. So I take it you won't be home again for dinner tonight? Didn't you work last weekend? When was the last time we went on a date? So these are the kinds of issues that continue to surface in relationships and in marriage. And so the, the goal is, all right, these things come up. It's not a bad marriage if these things come up. Those things come up. But the question is, how do you resolve that conflict, right? How do we deal with those things? And so there's, you know, as one pastor said, um, before marriage, opposites attract. After marriage, opposites attack, right? It's the opposites. It's that we come at things from different angles, and so we have to try to figure out how to solve those issues. So here's a key that I want you to take away today. The problem is not if or how often you fight, but how you fight and resolve the tension. It's not if or how often. There are couples who, who can fight and bicker a lot, but if they do it in a good way, and if they resolve it and find it, they can actually experience that deeper connection. But there was this, uh, there, there was this couple that I heard about where the, the husband and wife were just in a disagreement with each other because the lawnmower had broken down, and the wife kept asking the husband to fix the lawnmower, and he just wouldn't fix it. For whatever reason, he didn't want to, he didn't get around to it. And what happens if you don't fix your lawnmower? The grass grows. So the grass kept growing and growing, and his wife was getting more and more frustrated. So she had a, a, a creative idea to try to drive her point home. So when he was out and when he, came, he, was out, and when he came back, she, she sat herself into the tall grass and took little sewing scissors and started clipping the blades, little by little, in front of him to, to make a point. He walked by her and he looked at her and he went inside the house for a minute or two and he came out and he handed her a toothbrush. And he said, "Hun, when you finish cutting the grass, do you mind sweeping the driveway too? <laughs> Woo! <laughs> I just can't stop laughing about that joke. I'm sorry, I tell it because I think it's so, it's so funny. Not healthy, I mean, I'm, I can only laugh because I'm not that husband. Um, <laughs> that's called passive aggressive, right? <laughs> Right? You want something done, but you're finding other ways to do it, and you're not just not talking and doing it, but we can be passive-aggressive, or we can just be passive or aggressive. 
In couple, intention in families, one, or in couples, the way that people sometimes try to resolve conflict is to, to take the passive role. That's, I'm gonna withdraw. I sense tension coming, I see something happening, I'm gonna back off. I'm just gonna withdraw. Or I'm gonna give the silent treatment. I'm just not gonna engage it whatsoever. Or I'm gonna minimize it. It's not that big a deal. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. It's not that big a deal. Or it's one of those, you're just too quick to give in. Oh, I'm, I, I'm sorry. And you're not really sorry, but it's just what keeps the peace. The problem is passivity may keep the conflict at bay for a little bit, but it's not gonna resolve that conflict, right? Because it's just gonna build. Because you may not be dealing with it here, but you're dealing with it underneath. Then on the other side, you've got aggressive. Those are those in the, in the relationship, one who's more in the attack mode. There's an issue, we're gonna deal with it. And I'm gonna get verbal, and we're gonna talk about it. We're gonna deal with it. I don't matter. It doesn't matter about the timing. We're gonna deal with it right now. You, you, you talk in superlatives, right? You always, you never, you're gonna get into that place where, where it just begins this attacking mode, and you're gonna win. There's gonna be a winner in this. But in the end, you might end the conflict, but you really haven't resolved the issue, right? Because you're fighting. And so you look at couples, and sometimes you have a couple where both are passive. And again, it might seem there's more peace, there's not as much conflict, but what happens? Do those conflicts go away just by being passive? No, they just build up, and they show themselves maybe in nonverbal ways that play out. Or you've got two aggressive personalities in, in, the, in the home. What happens? It gets loud, right? It gets, it gets, it gets hard, and, and there's fighting, and nobody's really listening, and it doesn't really help. Or if you've got one of each, you know what happens? The one that's the more aggressive gets louder, and what does the one that's more passive do? They, they get quieter. And when they get quieter, what is the one who's more aggressive doing? Don't you back away. I'm trying to have this conversation. We're going to deal with this right now, right? And they back off. It's called the pursuer distancer. That's, gotta, that's, that's the unhealthy ways that those things can happen. And so there's, we, we got to find better ways to resolve conflict. I came across the story that there's there these two lines in heaven. And this one line was uh, for men who'd been dominated by their wives their whole lives. And the line was as far as the eye could see. In the second line, there was only one man. And Peter asked, why are you in this line? This man, he's like, I don't know. My wife just told me to shut up, stand here, and not ask any questions. <laughs> All right. Not effective ways to deal with conflict. Passive or aggressive, right? No, no elbowing, nudging anyone during, during, this entire, during this entire time. So I'm going to restate this. The problem is not if or how often you fight, but how you fight. So let's look at healthy ways, and let's look at ways that we want to resolve the tension. All right, I hope you take notes today, because I've got um, an entire seminar's worth of sermon today um, to, to, to look through this issue. So today we're going to look at six keys to turn conflict into deeper connection. Yes, six. A message with six points. I hope you have a delayed lunch um, appointment. We're, we're going to cover some important pieces. But really, this is the key. You can turn conflict into deeper connection. So many times you have conflict, and conflict ends up ending the relationship, ending what, what was there, or really driving this wedge. And if we really can stick through it or handle it in some positive ways, conflict, when resolved, and we've all experienced this, if you've had someone close to you, or maybe you've been on a sports team, and you've gone through something really tough, and you've duked it out, and it's been hard, but you resolved it, often, and most of the time, that relationship is actually stronger and deeper. And ultimately, the reason this is important is if God is calling us, and especially in marriage, to become one, we have to address conflict and we have to work through this. So the first thing I want to talk about, point one, is take resolving conflict seriously because division leads to destruction. 
So you got to take it seriously, right? If you don't think about it, all we do, we argue, we figure it out, we work our way through. No, step back today, and let's think about how does this happen. Luke 11, Jesus says this, Any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined. And a house divided against itself will fall. We've seen it, haven't we? The division, at least to what? A house falling. And it's not just the couple. It's not just the marriage. It can be families. And it creates this division. It creates this problem. So what God wants, God wants unity. God wants us to come together, the two united into one. But conflict has the, the power and the ability to start driving a wedge between us. And one thing I do know is that Satan wants to drive a wedge between couples. Satan wants to drive a wedge between relationships and cause division. And so we need to fight that. What's division? Look at that word, die vision. Two visions. You've got two different ideas about how you think the future should go. You think about what one thinks this, and the other one thinks in this direction. And so now we have to come to an issue, because we can't go two directions at the same time. That's division. And we need to come back to unity. It could be an issue as simple as, you know what, the car breaks down, always at the worst time, right? And maybe you've had two cars, and your second car finally bit the dust. You can't restore it anymore. Well, you might have two different visions. Maybe, maybe the wife says, you know, I want a brand new car because I'm tired of driving the kids around and wondering if this thing's going to break down at any moment. I'm tired of used cars. We, you know, let's make the payment, and we know there's no more, there's no more um, repairs that have to be done. The husband, well, I want, you know, well, let's buy a used car because we don't have the money to, to, to put it down, you know, to, to pay for a new car. And, and so we're going to buy something good, and I'll, we'll take care of it. And it seems like two, two very good possibilities. But it's amazing how something like that, instead of a, a conversation, a civil conversation to figure that out, how quickly can that turn into something else, right? Well, if you would have taken better care of the car, you never changed the oil. Well, if you would have a better job, we wouldn't have to be in this situation. Well, if you had a job, right? Unhealthy ways, and all of a sudden you're not dealing with the issue. Division takes you in other directions. Where are you going in opposite directions as you're having that conversation? Take it seriously, because... Conflict attacks the very bond of marriage. And when you're in conflict, again, whether it's in marriage or in any relationship, don't you just feel it? Yeah, you feel it. Something came, like you were, things were going well, you're going, things were going all great with your friends, things were going great at the office, things were going great on your team, and all of a sudden, there's like something, conflict begins to raise up. And all of a sudden, you feel like in your gut, there's a rift there. So we have to take conflict seriously because otherwise the house will fall. So that brings us to our second point, though. Choose your battles. Not every problem is a battle to fight. Okay, so we're going to take conflict seriously, but here, let's not mistake what battles need to be fought versus those that don't. I love this verse, Colossians 3.13. I think it should be in every home and in every office, everywhere. Make allowance for each other's faults. And forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Make allowance for each other's faults. That's like saying, I'm going to give, here's a credit. I'm going to build some credit into you and saying that you're going to make some mistakes. And build, uh, give me an account, too, where I build up some credit. I'm going to make some mistakes. And when those things happen, we're not instantly going to explode. Make allowance. Your spouse is going to mess up. Your friend is going to let you down. Your boss, your coworker, your teammate, your other member in the church, they're going to do something, say something. Make allowance and say, it's okay. I'm just not even going to deal with this issue. It's not even, it's not even worth my time. So what? The, the meal was burnt. 
Okay, so what? There was a fender bender, right? Are these issues that have to be, you know, brought into a major quarrel? It doesn't matter. Uh, Dr. John Gottman, he's a psychologist, he, he did a study, and he, here was his take on it. He said 67% of all disagreements can go unresolved. Healthy couples know which 33% need to be addressed. Right? So think through, are you something that every little thing, every little thing becomes an issue, every little thing becomes a fight. Now you're creating tension that's unnecessary. There are things that we allow and things that we can take on, and it's no big deal. You move on. I like the way it says in Titus, Paul is writing to the church, and he says, avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law because these are unprofitable and useless. What's he saying? Even in the church, man, you, you squabble over stuff. It, you're creating problems over issues that aren't even real, that, that, that don't even have to be a major issue. In marriage, it's the same thing. You don't, there's things you don't have to make major issues. You don't need to make the minors the majors. You know, what's better, Chick-fil-A or Cane's? Oh, man, we duke it out over that. You know, we, 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 we've got to come to agreement. She thinks cats are better than dogs, and he thinks, oh, we're going to argue over that. Or the biggest one, right? Which direction does the toilet roll go? Over the top or off the back? Can we do a little poll here? Over the top? Over the, I'm an over the top. Any under, around the back? Oh, man, over the top has it. Boy, I see some disagreement here, a couple of marriages. See, this isn't worth it, but if you don't deal with these issues, the bigger issues, though sometimes something small like that, right, can blow up into something else. So anyway, take resolving conflict seriously. Choose your battles wisely. So now, how do you know if there is something you should engage? Now, number three, pull weeds early. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. And that, comes, that point comes from two specific scriptures I want to look at in this point. Hebrews 12, 15. Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. What's he I love that little, I love that, 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 that analogy, right? Don't let a poisonous root of bitterness grow up. It's like this little root, this little poison. There's something that came in there, and all of a sudden, it starts growing this deeper root. It starts going deeper and deeper, and what he's saying is, pull the weeds, Pull it early. Don't even let it get to the point where it becomes a major problem. And, and so you're going to address it. You're going to dive into it. How do you know whether to dive into it? Maybe you've, you've heard of the 48-hour rule. If something's still bothering you after 48 hours, maybe then you, then you probably need to address it. All right? Something that seems big in the moment, and then you realize a little bit wait, later, it's fine. The next day, you don't even think about it. That falls into that 67% of stuff that you don't need to carry on. But if you're realizing, there's just, I feel it. We, we, we may be talking normal, whether it's a friend or a spouse, right? But I feel in my gut there's a rift there. There's something that just isn't sitting right with me. That's a moment where you need to address that. Because otherwise, that root of bitterness, if you don't deal with it, is going to grow into a full-blown weed. In Ephesians, it says this. And I think every couple should have this um, somewhere in their house or over their bed or in their bedroom. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. How often does the sun go down every day? <laughs> every 24 hours, right? Don't let the sun go down. Don't let the day end. When you're still angry, when there's still bitterness, when there's, you're still seething, and you're letting it go, it's going to only do what? It's going to just amplify in the time to go. Pull the weeds early. Deal with what's going on. Don't let the sun go down while you're angry. You know, maybe you're having a conversation, you go, you know, 
hun, you know, we talked about our schedule, and, and you said you'd be home in time for dinner. Things are really hectic and chaotic around that time, and I'm working and trying to get stuff done, and, and you said you would be, and you were late again. I got to tell you, it's really, I'm trying to let it go, but it's really getting kind of under my skin, and we talked about it, and, and can, can, we, can we deal with this issue? Right? You're, you're, you're being assertive. You're saying, here's what's going on. This happened. We agreed. I want to deal with it. But now you're dealing, while well, it's still a weed, while it's still an issue just today, dealing with this thing, you haven't let it grow into something very big. And I think that's a pro tip here, too. Focus on one issue at a time. Right? Couples, friendships are notorious for then bringing out, and this, and another thing, and another thing, right? Focus on one issue at a time. Deal with it early. Pull the weeds. What happens in a garden when you pull the weeds? You have a nice garden. <laughs> you have a nice weed-free garden where things can grow, where things can flourish. So if you pull the weeds, you're going to be in a great place. So now you're saying, all right, I'm going to deal with things early, and that avoids some of these other things that happen. But what happens if a, an all-out fight happens? Here's the thing, number four. Fight for your marriage, not for your way. Fight for your marriage, not for your way. Philippians 2, 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. See, we want our way. We want, we, we want it to be the way that I want it to be. I'm right, you're wrong. We have winners and losers, right? If, if, if there's a conflict and there's two different visions about where we need to go, I want this vision. That's why I believe it. That's why I think it's right. This is the answer. And somebody else thinks it's, you know, the spouse thinks it's the other. And you have winners and losers. And my job is to convince you. Marriage is a relationship in which one person is always right and the other is usually the husband. I don't know, these all seem to be, are these kind of one-sided jokes? I don't know where I get these things from, but. But that, sometimes that's what we see. One's right and then the other one's wrong, right? You gotta, you gotta win. Dr. Laura Young says it this way, some couples would rather be right than happy. Right? I'd rather be right instead of happy, but I'm right, I got my way, I won the battle, but I'm losing the war. It's this idea of, a, of me versus we. We lose the big picture. We kind of forget, what is this about? Is this about me winning the battle and, and you losing? What is it? Is it me or is it, is it we? So we, think, we ask this question, how do I win this fight? How do I win this fight, right? So this would be a good um, you know, point now to start teaching. Here's how you win. Here's what you got to do. Here's how you're going to, no, no, no. You know, that's the completely wrong question, right? It's how do we win this fight? How do we win this fight? And I think that changes completely how our perspective um, is, because when only one wins, the marriage loses. And this is what we forget. We try to win this battle. We try to win this argument. In the end, it might be in your favor, but what you're realizing is the marriage as a whole has lost. And we have to stop seeing our spouse as the enemy. Your spouse is never the enemy. Whatever is threatening to come between you is. Fight that. And this is so hard to do in the heat of the moment because it feels like the person opposite of you who holds a different view, that they're the issue. And you forget that the issue is the issue. And maybe the issue is not even the issue. Right? Maybe it's something else, but you have to go, what's more at stake here? Is it for me to win and to get my point across? Or is it that there's something else going on here? How can our marriage win? And if your spouse is the enemy, and this is what happens when marriages go too far down the road of conflict, they can't look at their spouse except seeing the enemy, the one who's wronging them, the one who's doing everything incorrect, the one who's just not on the same page, and, it, and now you're fighting the other person, the very one you're trying to win back into relationship. 
So how do we deal with this? Well, you have to look at something. You have to look at it like, for example, the issue of um, spending money. The spouse is not the enemy to defeat when you're dealing with a financial conflict. You know what the enemy is? is? Is figuring out how do we manage our finances? How do we deal with those and handle those things well? How do we reach the desired life and the future we want? That's the issue. So instead of chairs being opposite each other in a battle mode, like, all right, we're going to sit down, we're going to ha- hash this out. Mentally, maybe even physically, you need to do this if you're sitting down or standing. Get on the same side. Get on the same side and say, look, we may have a disagreement on this, but we're going to fight for our marriage For the we, not for the me. What's really the issue? What's really going on here? So you're looking at affection. You're just not getting the affection that that you want. And so you have different ideas of affection or, or intimacy. Your spouse is not the enemy. The issue is relational closeness. Having needs met, having that connection fueled. What the desire is of the spouse, that's the issue. And so you get around to the same side of the issue. When you look at chores and workload, the spouse isn't the enemy. What's the issue? You don't want one of you to be burned out. You don't want the house to be in disarray. So how do we attack this together? It's not the person. What are you dealing with? In so many different ways. When you're dealing with, with your in-laws and you're having trouble with your families of origin and stuff like that, you're, you know, your spouse is not the enemy. Your mother-in-law is. No, <laughs> sorry, mo- I, I, love, I, love, I love my mother-in-law. No. <laughs> No, the issue is how do we create separate, how do we separate from family of origin? How do we create a new bond together as, as a family? So how do you get on the same side of the issue? Fight for your marriage, right? Not to win. Not for you to win. Your spouse is not the enemy. Number five, if you want to move from conflict to connection. So you, you, when you start getting on the same side of the issue, then the next step here is this. Focus forward. Find common ground and common goals. Focus forward. Don't we focus backwards a lot <laughs> when we're having a conflict, when we're dealing with issues? We spend more time focusing backwards. Now, there's time for that because you have to deal with things that took place, things that you talk about, but how much time? No, focus forward and what's common to, between you. Philippians 2.2, 2, then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Now, that was written to the church, but doesn't that apply Across the board. This is the desire. This is, and and, and the, the, the marriage especially ought to be the place where this is lived out and embodied more than anywhere else. How do we find common ground? Shift the focus. What are we trying to build for? This is what I was talking about earlier. The spouse isn't the enemy. What is it? What are we trying to accomplish in our finances? What are the dreams that we have, both now and in the future? When we imagine how our household is, is, is being managed, what are you good at? What am I good at? What's the common ground? Where do we already agree and maybe it's, you realize it just comes down to this one stupid issue of emptying the dishwasher, you know? And yet, you've allowed that to become the whole issue over chores and everything, but you realize, no, we're actually kind of good. You pay the bills, and you do the cooking, and I do the cleaning, and I fix the cars, and you, you have that worked out. Maybe you find what's common, so what's really at stake? Let's build off of that. And then you set these new goals. You move forward. You think about what's coming next. And if you don't know where to go with that, do you ever pray together as a couple? You ever stop and pause and say, God, we need wisdom. We're at an impasse here. We're just struggling. Or God, give us a new vision for what you see for our life, for our marriage, for our family, for this relationship, for my friendship, for my work environment, whatever those relationships are. You find that common ground and then see this is what we want to aim for. And that's also going to help you get on the same side. How do we move from conflict to connection? Number six, forgive and restore. 
The two phrases, I'm sorry and I forgive you, are huge, aren't they? Ephesians 4 says, Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Conflict puts a rift in any relationship. And so through some of these avenues of kind of, of realizing, look, my spouse isn't the enemy, we're trying to get on the same side, we're sharing some common goals, that's a great way to start bringing you closer together. But what restores that bond is forgiveness and repentance. Those are the, those are the keys. And, and, you know, we celebrated communion today. I mean, at the heart of who we are as followers of Christ is that we understand as Christ forgave us, so we can forgive someone else. If Christ could forgive the sins of the world, if Christ could forgive being nailed to a cross and, and unjustly punished, what are we, what should we be able to forgive? Anything. We should be able to forgive. And that's a hard thing. I'm not saying that's an easy thing. It's, it's challenging. But what we often do, instead of being forgivers, we become scorekeepers. Right? You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> that's, the, that's the, you may have even done all this other stuff, but if you're still in the back of your mind tucking this one away for later, you know, we might be moving forward, but I'm not going to forget what just took place here. And, 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 and you're going to drudge that up at some point in the past, right? That's that kind of winner's losers thing again. You're keeping score and, you're, and you're, you're keeping that record. Your marriage does not need a historian for past mistakes and faults. We need to look forward. You need to move forward. And forgiveness does that. It says, you know, we move forward from this place. Unconditional forgiveness. I forgive you. Not I only will forgive you if... I forgive you, and you allow the chance to move forward. Now, what that takes on the other side is someone who's also willing to say, especially if it's going to work, the work the best to restore that bond is to be able to say, I'm sorry. Oh, aren't those words sometimes really hard to say? Especially when you thought you were so right, or even if you believed in what you did, but you realized you went about it in the wrong way, and there's been a heat of an argument, or there's been conversation, and then just to calm down enough, or to step back in that moment, or even later, and to come back, and what happens in that moment when I come back and I say, you know, Shannon, I'm sorry. Oh. It's like the tension just does what? It just goes, it just dissipates. There's something powerful about repenting. There's something powerful about saying I'm sorry. And there's something powerful about the other person and saying, you know what, I forgive you. You know, I'm sorry too, or I love you. It restores the bond. It recreates that connection. All of a sudden, you went from conflict to even having a better, stronger connection, a deeper connection than before. But it's that last step that sometimes we forget about and sometimes the hardest to do. It's to repent and to ask for forgiveness. I was wrong. <laughs> Those are hard words. But really, they're easy words. It's just that we have our ego in the way. But if we're going to have common ground, if we're going to come together, we need to find that way forward. So listen, conflict separates, but resolved conflict unites. It creates that deeper connection. So as you look at these six ways, there's a lot here, but we want to try to take conflict seriously. We want to stop it early. So let me look through, recap these six points for us here to turn conflict into deeper connection. One, take conflict seriously. Resolving conflict seriously, division leads to destruction. Okay, so don't just let it go um, without dealing with it. But first of all, or the second point here, right? Choose your battles. Not every problem needs to be addressed and turn into a, a fight. Third, pull the weeds early. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. It's much easier to deal with something when it first begins and you realize it's something you need to deal with. That's the time. Step in and deal with it. Then fight for your marriage, not for your way. Your spouse is not the enemy. 
come to the same side of the table and then focus forward, find common ground and common goals. And at some point here, make sure you forgive and restore and resolve the issue, right? I'm sorry, I forgive you, it's powerful. I wanna close with one of the most famous passages about love. And I want you to think about it in terms of what we've been talking about the last two weeks of communication and resolving conflict. It's 1 Corinthians 13, beginning at verse four. Love is patient and kind. Applies, doesn't it? How we talk to each other. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. And this one ought to be underlined everywhere. It keeps no record of being wrong. That's a hard one, right? But that's what we've been talking about. It just lets it go. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Right? Not just about me getting my way, but you're wrong. Ha, I got you. No, no. It rejoices when the truth wins out. And I love this last part. Let me drive this home to you. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstances. It endures through every circumstance. It endures through every circumstance. It endures through every circumstance. Did it leave a circumstance out? It endures through every circumstance. It didn't say it's easy. It endures. <laughs> It endures. Love it just has this ability to, to walk through, to push through, to say, we will get through the other side of this. It may be conflict now, but it's going to lead to deeper connection if we practice good communication, if we, if we honor one another, if we follow some of these guidelines, not make everything an issue, if we're not irritable, if we're not rude. We're going to find common ground. We're going to look forward. You're not my enemy. You're on the same side. We want to build this marriage. We want to build this home. Love endures. It never fails. Don't give up. What are you struggling with? Maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe it's somewhere else that that's brought to light today. I want to pray for you, and I want to ask God to allow us to take some of these steps to turn this conflict into really a deeper connection. And as I think about our faith, it's Christ forgiving us. It's Christ laying down his life for us. That creates this bond between us where we go, man, we've been forgiven for so much. We've been loved in such an incredible way. And in that, and that's why we give our lives to Christ. We say thank you, and it restores that bond. Let's do that in those relationships that mean the most to us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word that just guides us in so many different ways. God, thank you for the example of your great love for us, that you stepped out of heaven to come and to be in person, to be in relationship with us. And God, that you did not allow the rift between us to separate us, but God, that you came and you took the pain upon yourself and you extended a hand of forgiveness to us. And so God, we ask that you would allow us to do that in the challenges we're facing. God, I don't know what's being dealt with in the homes and in friendships or in workplaces or in other relationships, but God, you know. And Father, I pray where there's a rift between in a marriage this morning, God, that you would begin to mend that rift, that you would allow us to seek you and to find a way forward. Father, restore broken friendships that, that maybe were split over some really stupid issue a long time ago, God. Bring healing between siblings. God, within the church, in a workplace, Father, do not allow Satan to divide what you want to bring together. 
a beautiful relationship honors you. And God, we long for that in our homes and our families. And so, Lord, would you guide us, give us the grace, anoint our mouth and our words and our heart to be in the right place when we have difficult conversations. Father, some have been wounded and hurt so bad. Father, would you please guide and give wisdom in how to move forward and seek counsel where needed. And we pray, God, that you would bring healing. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.